0: Welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. If you do a quick Google search of how many skin conditions exist, it's a few thousand, and they can affect people from all walks of life, from the most common to the rarest of the rare. Some are a born skin condition, some develop, and others are acquired instantly following a skin trauma or injury. Some skin conditions have no cure, so living with them is an ongoing learning experience for patients and families. And I'm very excited to announce for the first time in the Heal Thy Skin podcast, we will be opening our space to a very special collaboration series called the A to Z of Skin Conditions. The A to Z of Skin Conditions special series is hosted by Dr. Anika Smith, board certified dermatologist, and it features skin experts from all around the globe to give insights on everything we need to know in skin anatomy and skin conditions from A to Z. These episodes will be dropping periodically, so make sure you tune in to every single episode so you don't miss one. This
1: is episode number three of the A to Z podcast series. The aim of the A to Z series is to provide you bite-sized pieces of dermatology wisdom shared by leaders in their field in order to educate, dispel myths and encourage greater understanding about all things to do with the skin. Today we will be taking a short, sharp and focused insight into cosmeceuticals and cellulite with five key questions to be answered by our dermatology expert. This podcast presents information of a general nature and the opinions of the presenters and should not be relied upon. It does not constitute and is not a substitute for formal medical review or advice for each person's specific circumstances and individual needs. Please see your local doctor or dermatologist if you have any concerns about your skin or general health. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr Anika Smith, Consultant dermatologist, and I'm delighted to welcome dermatologist Dr. Catherine Amor to the podcast today. Dr. Amor is a medical and cosmetic dermatologist based in Melbourne, working in both private practice and the public hospital system. Her subspecialty interests include biologic therapies for inflammatory skin diseases and the use of cosmeceuticals to treat and prevent skin diseases and ageing. She is the founder of Bespoke Skin Technology, a cosmeceutical skincare line. Welcome, Catherine. It's an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast to talk about all things to do with cosmeceuticals and cellulite. Before we get started, can you tell us what you put on your skin this morning? I sure
2: can. And thanks very much for having me on the podcast today, Annika. I actually put on a product from Conflict of Interest Disclosed, uh, my own brand, Bespoke Skin Technology, which we'll be launching later in the year because we're, um, we're testing products. So, I put on it, it was a, a moisturizer, which contains uh, numerous antioxidants, which are all useful for collagen protection, uh, as well as pigments, and it was soothing, so, and then it contains bakuchiol, uh, uh, the new sort of retinoid type analog, which is a plant extract, and I then put on sunscreen, and then off I went. Yeah. It's pretty simple. I'm pretty simple. I don't like multi-step regimes like most other working mums like yourself. (laughs) I like to keep it simple.
1: (laughs) I am all for simplicity and how exciting about the new range launching later this year. Tell us, what is it that you love most about the Skin
2: I love, I love a few things that a few dermatologists love. Like I love the the fact that it's our body's first line of defense against the outside world and that it's the body's largest organ. I mean, on a kind of scientific level, but I love that it's so individual that no two people have exactly the same skin. And for each of us, it's different. And and I guess as a dermatologist that, um, you know, no two patients we see are exactly alike. So I love the individuality of our skin.
1: Let's get down to business and fire some key questions regarding cosmeceuticals and cellulite your way. Let's start off with cosmeceuticals. Can you tell us in simple terms, what are cosmeceuticals? They're a really
2: interesting area. So there's no official regulatory definition, actually, of what constitutes a cosmeceutical. But most people would consider them to be a hybrid of cosmetics and pharmaceuticals or drugs, medications. Uh, I tend to think of cosmeceuticals as being skincare that contains biologically active ingredients. So that's pretty broad. Um, And just the important thing about cosmeceuticals is because they're not actually uh, a drug, you can only make claims about um, effects they can have on the appearance of the skin. With a cosmeceutical, you can't make claims about any changes to the function of the skin, even if they do actually lead to changes in the function of the skin, which many cosmeceuticals do.
1: Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now you mentioned they contain biologically active ingredients. What are some of the key biologic active ingredients one might expect in a cosmeceutical product?
2: So one of the commonest uh, sort of classes would be antioxidants. Mm -hmm. uh, And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of antioxidants. The the ones that most people would be uh, familiar with would be vitamins A, C, and E, which have been around for a long time. But there are other ingredients now, things that support skin barrier function like ceramides, alpha hydroxy acids, polyhydroxy acids, beta hydroxy acids. And then really interesting Interesting uh, new classes, things like DNA repair enzymes, which are um, segwayed out of the medical literature. Actually, they're one of my favourite classes of of cosmeceutical ingredients. So they are they are broad
1: and they are many. You mentioned an interesting point that they're not regulated by the the typical regulatory bodies such as the, the TGA here in Australia. So are most of them clinically tested to prove uh, efficacy?
2: So, individual brands uh, may or may not test uh, their own, you know, the ingredients in their own products. Most of the established cosmeceutical brands um, will choose to use ingredients that uh, do have some evidence space in in scientific studies but whether or not they test those or the combination of ingredients they use in their products probably depends uh, on the size of the of the brand um, but there are look there are there are many brands that are using ingredients that actually don't have any scientific backing at all so you know I tend to suggest that people stick to um, cosmeceutical ingredients that do have an evidence base. And, you know, if you you stick to your DNA repair enzymes and your well-known antioxidants, vitamin A's or retinoids, and alpha hydroxy acids, polyhydroxy acids, you probably can't go too wrong. They've all got Excellent. a good
1: evidence base, yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Looking for ingredients that do have a pre-existing evidence base is key. So these products are typically over the counter, which obviously leaves the 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 consumer to discern for themselves what to choose and why. Is there anything in particular? You've mentioned some of the key ingredients to look out for that have a uh, an evidence base what should one be looking for? Does the concentration of the the particular cosmeceutical matter? Does the the formulation or the combination matter in any way?
2: Absolutely, uh, yes. So for quite a few ingredients, the the concentration is important. First of all, in terms of you know how clinically effective. Uh, the ingredient is going to be, but also in terms of uh, risks like irritancy. Um, So I guess good examples of that are um, with with retinoids. Um, So if we're talking about retinol, for instance, um, studies suggest that you really need to be using retinol in concentrations of 0.1% or greater, for them to have any clinically um, significant uh, efficacy. So in terms of stimulating new collagen production, um, improving skin texture, that sort of thing. So yes, you do need to use enough of a concentration. And often you can't find that. Like it will not usually be listed on a website or on the back of the packaging, you know, the actual concentration, because brands don't want to give away uh, every single um, bit of information about their formula. So... If you're wondering if a if an ingredient is present in a in a high enough concentration, you want to see it fairly near the top of the list of ingredients. So, the specific ingredients in highest concentration will be at the top of the list and things in much lower concentration will be at the bottom of the list when you look at your skincare products. Vitamin C or ascorbic acid or any of the the other forms of vitamin C, which are usually start with ascorbic in the ingredients list. The concentration of those is important also because of irritancy. So vitamin C tends to mostly be available between five and 25%. And at a 25% concentration, it's quite likely to irritate the skin unless you've become quite tolerant and used to using vitamin C. So if you were going to start using vitamin C, I would never start above 5 or 10% or else people will end up with troublesome rashes like periorificial dermatitis that you and I both see most days at work.
1: Tell me about hyaluronic acid and concentration. Is there a particular concentration of HA that might be desirable or just the inclusion of HA alone is, is enough? So what's
2: actually most important about HA is um, how cross-linked it is because HA is available in uh, lots of different sizes, so it tends to be complex together. So it may be that it sits just on the top of the skin and is kind of like a little bit occluding and trying to lock in moisture, or it may be... um, Cross-linked into smaller groups, so it penetrates a little bit into the epidermis. Obviously, it's never going to get into the dermis where we're sometimes led to believe it won't it'll go. Um, obviously, if we want hyaluronic acid in our dermis, it needs to be injected as a filler. But yes, my understanding is that for hyaluronic acid, it's it's more the way it's cross-linked. The one thing I think that's really important to know about hyaluronic acid is yes, it is quite useful for skin hydrating, but you actually need to lock it in with something else. So you'll always need to put, I think, another type of moisturizer or sunscreen over the top to lock it in there so it can actually do its job. On its own, it's not that useful.
1: Got it. Now, I know that one's individual skincare needs very much determine the their skincare regime and what that constitutes, but what would your top go-to cosmeceuticals be for someone who might be wanting to look at incorporating some in their daily skincare routine, what would you suggest as a key AM or key PM ingredient?
2: So uh, for for morning uh, ingredients, I tend to, I think about the morning as being your protection, uh, your protection type time. So I like to use DNA repair enzymes because they are going to be really helpful in, Uh, helping your skin to be uh, protected from uh, environmental aggressors, which is mostly UV radiation, but also pollution. Um, So DNA repair enzymes, but also antioxidants. So antioxidants for their ability to protect our dermal collagen, um, but also to protect, you know, and help the skin repair against... um, um, You've induced mutations, but also to prevent pigmentation, uh, to help with acne, which I guess we need to treat morning and night, um, and also to target uh, pigmentation. So the antioxidants I choose. Um, because like you, I'm seeing patients every day who not only have perhaps inflammatory skin conditions like acne, rosacea, psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis. So they want to treat those, but most of those patients also want to treat and prevent aging. So I'm always very wary of using ingredients that will be effective, but are also less likely to cause irritation or flare their underlying disease. So I choose multitasking again because as I said I like simple skincare regimes myself I choose ingredients that will actually have um, a multitude of actions so uh, my favorites are vitamin b3 or niacinamide and I think all of us should be putting that on our skin mm-hmm. um, and that's because it supports skin barrier function it treats unwanted pigmentation it protects collagen but also stimulates new collagen production to help with wrinkles and it's a soothing anti-inflammatory so that is if you had to choose one ingredient to put on your skin in addition to sunscreen that'd be the one I recommend vitamin b3 my other just as a kind of a group of my other favorite antioxidants just because they'll um, they'll soothe the skin they'll treat pigment they'll um, prevent against uv damage uh, et cetera, would be astaxanthin, ferulic acids, resveratrol, uh, licorice root uh, extract, and green tea extract. You know, if I had to choose a sort of a top few, they would be my favourites. Then at night time, obviously we know that at night is when the skin does most of its repairing. You know, I would probably add in the same antioxidants again, but that's when you're kind of trying to transform the skin and rejuvenate. So that's when I'd think about ingredients like retinoids and alpha hydroxy or polyhydroxy acids. That would be my my regime. And polyhydroxy acids um, act uh, much in the same way as alpha hydroxy acids. So they help increase skin turnover. So they exfoliate lightly. Um, but they help also with decongestion and skin plumping because they'll help stimulate new collagen production, but not everyone can tolerate alpha hydroxy acids. So polyhydroxy acids are a sort of a new class uh, or newer class of cosmeceuticals that's suitable for those with sensitive skin. Ideally you get all those ingredients and one or two products. So you don't have to be spending a lot of time layering.
1: So, Between retinoids and the hydroxy acids, if you're kind of new to this game, would you suggest starting off with a low concentration hydroxy acid before progressing to a retinoid? How would you discern which agent to use retinoids versus hydroxy acids in the evening?
2: I would probably, I think overall, um, retinoids are a bit more potent. Uh, So I I would choose one or the other, to be honest, because they both have the potential to you know, irritate the skin, cause some photosensitivity or redness or peeling. So if you're starting, yes, with over-the-counter products, I would definitely, yes, start with a lower concentration of retinoid and it's even worth introducing it gradually. So, mm. you know, even third nightly for a week or two, then second nightly for a week or two, and then if you can tolerate second nightly, you can go up to nightly use. For those who are very retinoid tolerant, so I've been using them at night for a long time, I would suggest even you could even start to introduce an alpha hydroxy acid, but probably you know alternate them. So do your retinoid one night and your AHA on the alternate night. I think using them both at once would only be for those with incredibly tough skin.
1: And tell us before we move on, DNA repair enzymes, are there any particular ones one should look for or suffice to see that they're included. Tell us a little bit more about the DNA repair enzymes and what to look for if you're wanting to see that included in your product.
2: So with DNA repair enzymes, a lot of brands won't actually tell you which ones. uh, This is something I've, you know, it's something I formulate with myself and we actually list the specific ones we use uh, on our on our products but when you know I've looked worldwide at a lot of other brands you often won't see that listed but if you know they'll just often say DNA repair enzymes and they won't tell you whether they're using one two or three I always like to use three because then you're you're covering all the different types of mutations that might arise. The ones you should be looking for if you can, um, so things like photolyase, which is one that we actually don't make ourselves as humans. That's extract, extracted from plants, but is still very useful. Things like micrococcus lysate. Sometimes they'll just say the class of enzymes. So things like the endonuclease, endonucleases, that sort of thing. Endonuclease, uh, photoliase, they're the sort of things you'll see written down. But honestly, mm-hmm. most brands won't tell you which ones they're using, unfortunately. It's a little bit oh, opaque.
1: Yes, it definitely sounds like that. Are there any cosmeceuticals one should not combine? Look, I, I'm i not that keen on combining High potency,
2: or high, yeah, high potency, or high concentration ascorbic acid, and high concentration retinoids, particularly the prescription retinoids like tretinoin. Um, I just think you, you just, unless you're very tolerant to cosmeceuticals, that frequently, frequently uh, leads to irritation. Um, and peeling, redness of the skin, um, I would sort of use one or the other. And if I had to choose one, I'd always go with a retinoid. They're the main ones. Look, AHAs and and retinoids should only really be used in people who are very experienced with using cosmeceuticals and have introduced them gradually. They'd be the main things I wouldn't combine. You know, Definitely. it's not dangerous. Not dangerous, but, you know, they're, they're the kind of people that we see in the clinic with rashes. <laughs>
1: Exactly. First, do no harm. And as you say, irritancy is an an issue and and, and using something can unexpectedly lead to more problems down the track. I completely agree with your uh, suggested approach for the topicals at night, uh, a graduated introduction and and up titration as as tolerated. That was a fabulous overview of, of cosmeceuticals. I look forward to hearing more about your products, it sounds like you've been very busy researching all the nitty-gritty involved with these agents. Transitioning on to a much-loved or hated topic, if you like, cellulite. Look, research tells us that most adult women have some degree of cellulite. I can put my hand up there. Can you tell us what is cellulite and how does it come about? So, yes, I'm I'm
2: a victim as well, Annika. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So cellulite is the skin dimpling and lumpiness uh, seen on the skin surface, so particularly on the thighs, buttocks, and and abdomen of nearly all women, even very thin women, actually. Um, And it's actually due to um, fatty protrusions uh, into the dermal layer of the skin so that the the fat is, um, is visible. And the reason it looks lumpy is because that fatty tissue Is actually protruding through fibrous bands, which um, tether our skin to the underlying muscle. So you have you sort of got these layers of um, you know the top layer of the skin with a fibrous band connecting the skin down to the muscle, and then the fat protrudes through and gives us that sort of unwanted, I guess, mattress type mattress surface type Mm. effect that gives us dimpling. So that's what's known to cause it and you know it's obviously tends to be more prominent if we gain weight but even the thinnest women tend to have some degree of cellulite as well.
1: That's right. So you said it doesn't have to be related to excess fat or adipose tissue. So weight loss alone may not rid cellulite. Is there anything one can do to aid the appearance of cellulite. And I suppose broadly speaking, are there any evidence-based treatments available that a dermatologist may offer for cellulite?
2: So in terms of improving the appearance of cellulite, I tend to look at the treatments in two kind of main groups. So the first would be treatments that would help thicken the skin itself, the top layer of the skin, so that the cellulite underneath, if you like, looks less obvious. And then we think about treatments that will actually help break up those fibrous bands, because if we break up the fibrous bands, we're sort of getting rid of the the problem. You know, the fat's not going to protrude through those or it's not going to be squished. So in terms of thickening the skin, dermatologists will quite often prescribe fairly classical treatments like the retinoids. And over, you know, six months or so, they will... Increase dermal collagen thickness and perhaps improve the quality of elastic fibres in the dermis, which can lead to, uh, I would say, a fairly mild to moderate improvement in the appearance of cellulite. The difficulty is, of course, is whether or not people can tolerate using a retinoid on those areas. Um, It it would have to be introduced gradually as we've just talked about above. And I think if you're going to be using tretinoin on your your buttocks or the back of your thighs, you want to apply it over a moisturizer as well as a little bit of a protective barrier. Mm -hmm. But that's something easy that we can try uh, and not too costly. Dermatologists can also offer other treatments to try and thicken up the skin. So um, fractionated radiofrequency, which, of course, uses... current, current, which is transformed into heat to thicken up dermal collagen. I mean, that's certainly can be effective. You know, studies suggest that it can, you know, improve the appearance of cellulite for perhaps six months at a time. But that'd be something you'd you'd need to keep doing because we're, we're trying to keep thickening the skin. It's not actually treating the, the collagen bands. And whilst I've not seen it reported, I think other Treatment modalities that also thicken up the skin could potentially be useful, for other things that dermatologists would offer. So, things like microfocused ultrasound, treatments like ultraforma or ultherapy. So, there are two main groups of those that are being used at the moment. Not all of them are available in Australia, but there's one particular laser treatment called cellulase, uh, and that's fairly minimally invasive. And with that treatment, a tiny laser fiber is inserted beneath the skin. And when that laser is fired, the energy breaks up those tough fibrous bands beneath the skin um, and can actually also lead to a little bit of thickening of the top of the skin surface and stimulating new collagen production. So that certainly um, you know, has some evidence behind it and it's quite a useful therapy. But again, it's um, it's not a permanent fix. Minimally invasive surgical procedures definitely have a place. So there are procedures that we use quite a lot for acne scarring like subcision. certainly can help the appearance of cellulite. So subcision is when, uh, you know, a fairly the involved area of the skin would be numbed with local anesthetic and then quite a large needle will be inserted uh, through the numbed area of skin and you sort of uh, basically, shoved around under the skin if you like to break up those fibrous bands and then the you know the tethered skin is released um, and that's something that any dermatologist can do. I think it's certainly not done in a widespread way. Along the lines of subcision there is uh, a new therapy that's been uh, FDA approved in the U.S. Um, called Selfina, and Selfina. um again works by using a little microblade which is introduced down into the skin to perform subcision in a very controlled way and it uses a little microblade which is about the size of a needle to break up those connective bands and it is quite expensive three to five thousand dollars us per treatment but the results are quite long lasting so patients they did tests on about, you know, trials on about 300 patients, and it was effective in, a, in 98% of those patients with results lasting out to three years. So, you know, I think that's something certainly to consider for the future and those who are very bothered by their cellulite. It's still a really difficult problem to treat because just removing fat with, um, you know, cr- cryo techniques, which are being used and liposuction that will not necessarily improve the appearance of cellulite because it won't deal with the fibrous band. So I think cellphine is definitely quite a, a promising treatment.
1: Well, some of those sound a little scary, didn't they? I mean, the alternative (laughs) obviously is to love the skin they're in, dimples and all. That was a fantastic overview. Thank you so much. Can you tell us, are there any other suggested resources or additional information on these topics uh, discussed for our listeners should they want any further sources?
2: So the Australasian College of Dermatologists website does have a really um, fabulous information section for the general public. Also, likewise, being a Kiwi, the I'm biased, I think, um, <laughs> www.dermnetnz.org actually had a really nice summary about treatments for cellulite. Dr. Leslie Bowman, who is uh, a Miami based dermatologist, is hugely published and she has a fantastic blog. Um, for anyone wanting to read about any topic really within cosmetic dermatology. So whether it be uh, cosmeceuticals or cellulite treatments, um, she's, she's very learned. There. Um, she's a resource I often look to and actually she's written some fantastic textbooks. If anyone's really into cosmeceuticals, she has a wonderful textbook called Cosmeceuticals and Cosmetic Ingredients, if you're a real um, nerd about it. As I am, <laughs> um, they're good. Actually, likewise. Actually, the American Academy of Dermatology, they have mm. um, some. They have a wonderful section also on treatments of cellulite. So not all of them are available in Australia, but they have um, a great section on that as well
1: under their patient information. Fabulous suggestions. And tell us where can listeners go to find out more about you and the work you do in the dermatology. Space and indeed your your new bespoke range you alluded to.
2: Oh, thanks, Annika. My social media is just at Dr. Catherine Armour. And I do also have a web page which is a little bit out of date at the moment, but that's just drcatherinearmour.com and then also our our website so bespokeskintechnology.com or um at bespokeskintechnology that that pretty much covers it
1: yeah i know you said later later in the year is that is the grand opening but do we um, are, are you able to give us a sneak peek into some of the products or range that might be on offer well actually we so we have four
2: existing products which we launched uh three years ago so they are because i love and my patients seem to love all in one products we do have uh an existing uh morning and an existing night product which contain all my favorite ingredients Uh, and we have a dna lip repair product and a Zinc and iron oxide based foundation stick, and just two nights ago, actually, we le- we launched the first two of our new products. So, um, the first is a an anti pollution cleanser, and we also introduced a a new serum, uh, which we've I've created really out of noticing that people who are either pregnant, breastfeeding, or have very sensitive skin. Um, you know, often struggle to to find ingredients they're able to use, and then we have probably in a few weeks a new uh, cleansing balm coming for people who like to double cleanse. Not all of us have time for that, but some people really like doing that. So, <laughs> and then probably the one I'm most excited about, yes, which I put on this morning, is a yeah an all-in-one moisturizer, which is going to contain. DNA repair, uh, Bucushiol, and so three DNA DNA repair enzymes and every antioxidant you can think of, including astaxanthin, which is one of my new favorites, which is fabulous at preventing UV-induced damage. It's supposedly 65 times more potent than vitamin C, but it's really soothing. So that little baby is... um, Coming uh, hopefully yeah, in September. A punch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. that sounds fantastic! What a range. So we have some rapid fire questions. Um, can you tell us what are the key takeaways from today's podcast that you'd like our listeners to walk away with? Your top three, perhaps. So first of all,
2: look, cosmeceuticals are somewhere between cosmetics and drugs, but I think we should care about them because they're really useful adjuncts to prescription therapies, procedures, and they do help with a number of skin disorders. Um, In looking at cosmeceuticals, you do need to be aware of the the concentrations of the ingredients you're using. Try and try and look for evidence-based ingredients. Um, And that, look, cellulite is really common, we've all got it if we've got two X chromosomes. Um, So don't feel you have to get rid of it. But if you do want to improve the appearance of your cellulite, it's probably worth seeing a dermatologist because there are a few things that we can offer.
1: Mm, Brilliant. What's one thing all women, or men for that matter, if, if they may be listening, but all women should do for their skin?
2: I know it's not very exciting or glamorous, but use SPF <laughs> every single day, uh, spring, summer, autumn, winter. Um you know, you're the you're yeah. the melanoma guru, Annika. Okay, so you I'm not telling you how to <laughs> suck eggs, but just for our listeners, <laughs> 90% of the UV still gets through on cloudy days. So yep, sunscreen every day, reapply it, you know, um two hourly if you're outdoors and yep, all year round. I think that's still the most important thing we can do.
1: I wholeheartedly agree with that. Tell us, what will you put on your skin tonight?
2: I will apply um, an all-in-one moisturising product appropriate for eyes and face that uh, contains DNA repair enzymes, retinaldehyde and antioxidants to help anti-age me since I'm 47 in a couple of weeks.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. You definitely don't look at happy birthday for a couple of weeks. And tell me, are we double cleansing as well tonight or no double cleanser at play?
2: It depends. If I've just—I've only got sunscreen on at the moment, no makeup, so I might just do a single cleanse. If I had makeup on, I'd probably double cleanse.
1: Double cleanse. <laughs> Fabulous from your bespoke range, no doubt. And look, yeah. random and unrelated. But if one comes to mind, is there a favourite quote or life motto that you live by? <laughs> It was
2: actually one I saw on social media. I'm embarrassed to say uh, recently, <laughs> but it was it was actually a quote, and I'm probably going to get it slightly wrong by Charlie Brown. He was talking to Snoopy, and yep. it just said, uh, "The happiest people are those who love what they have." Mm, I love it, and I just thought, "Oh, isn't that beautiful?" Mm. And I keep thinking about that actually, and thinking, you know, we're so we're so busy striving for you know busyness and doing all these achieving all these amazing things and I thought it made me especially because I think we were locked down in Melbourne at the time (laughs) and I'm sorry to hear that you guys are there too that's terrible but it made me sit back and and reflect on my on my lovely little family and lucky to have a career that I love and uh, a wonderful family in Sydney and New Zealand. And I thought, gosh, and wonderful friends uh, and colleagues. And I thought, you know what, I'm so blessed and I've just got to sit here and not feel pipped about being locked down and just be really happy with what I have. Yeah.
1: That's beautiful and such a lovely note to finish on. I completely agree. Being content with the here and now and and being grateful for all we we have in this moment. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm sure our listeners have learned so much. We'll link in the show notes where and how to find out more about you and what you do in the skin space. And uh, thanks for sharing your time and expertise and all the best with the continued evolution of your your skincare range and um, your place in the dermatology space. Thanks again.
2: Thanks for having me Annika, it's been loads of fun.